Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. Classic intro. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. Spooky. Kurt Zanvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about mysterious disappearances in another triangle that I've already talked about on a previous episode, but this is all new information strictly for this episode. I have not repeated myself from a previous episode, but it's about a triangle that I did talk about one time before. Okay, got it? All right, but first, as always, it's time for some shout-outs. Let's do a shout-out to Andrew, Stephen McDaniel, Paul, Mark, Tortuga, Hannah, Mike from Jersey. I like Mike from Jersey. I don't even know Mike, but good on you, Mike. Terry Ann, TNT, Jay Bizzle. Jay Bizzle, that's a good one, too. Andy Tracy, Virginia. That's Ginny Mailman, The Cryptid. Tony, Jason, Vicky Crow, Clay, Tim, Buzz, Tom. Lobita Works, Glacier, Maine, Isabel, Jen, Jen. Stacy Amber, Tracy Matthew, Sandy Kelly Joe, Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Magic Robot Webcomic, Sandy Page, Kaush Sean, Andrew Scott, Andrea Devon, Melody Ricardo, Vicky Vanessa, Marisol Liam, Roger, Michael, Alicia, Becca Jake and the Beasties, Elizabeth Voidtech, Sherry, Art Muffin Trudy, Tim Kenneth, Paul Ricardo, Ian, Armor Times 10, Alexandra, George, Seth, Zozo the Demon. Hayden, Cindy, Ashley, what's that? Carrie, Robin, Will, Lauren, and Phil Mangano, Russell, April, oop, I lost my spot. Isabel, there we go. Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Stacy, Jerry, Scouston, Lindsay, Hahn, hey, howdy, hi. Megan, Jeff, T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, the Lawrence Strong, hey, howdy, hi. Veronica, Autumn, J Mark, Manning, Carolyn, Martin, Jade, Nanashi, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Dan, Laura Pitts, and Gamer Fan. Is that it? I think that's everybody. Boy, I hope that's everybody. If I missed somebody, just just say, hey, Kurt, you missed me. What the crap? But I don't think I did. Did I say Russ? I think I said Russ. Russell. Hey, anyhow, with two special shout-outs to Joe Teague and Stitch. I got to be honest. On this one, I lost my place a couple of times, and I was like, oh, God. And so my eyes were trying to catch up, or my mouth was trying to catch up to where my eyes were going down the list. So... I don't think I missed anybody, but if I did, it was not intentional, and it's a uh, spooky, spectacular surprise, because that's right. It's now Halloween time. It's been Halloween time, as far as I'm concerned, for about two months, but officially, it's now Halloween time. Hope you guys like the classic intro is back. You guys didn't seem to like the new intro that I did for the next 200th episodes, but uh, or 100 episodes. You didn't seem to like that new intro. And if you don't know what that new intro is, if you're like, Kurt, what new intro? What the hell are you talking about? Here's just a quick sample of that new intro. See, it's more like poppy, but it's still the same stuff that was going on in the original intro, the one you just heard, but in the background now. Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. And then, you know, subtler intros. And then spooky. 
But I thought, you know, I, I thought I would mix it up. All right, here, shut up, shut up, shut up, stop, stop. I thought I would mix it up a little bit and and make a new intro for the uh, for the next hundred episodes or so. And it didn't. And people are like, "Hey, what happened to the intro? Hey, bring back the old intro. Hey, we hate the new intro. It should die in a fire." You know, there were like very serious feelings about said intro. So I get it. I uh, I took it into consideration. I'm not saying I won't play it anymore. That's not how this. That's not how this podcast works. If you hate something, you ain't be like, oh, "I hate that." You you suck, and then I'll take it away. No, a lot of people hate paranormal uh, news. I'm not taking that away. A lot of people hate the shoutouts. Really, not going to take that away. But I, I heard. I listen every now and then. So since it's Halloween time, I have a feeling that you guys might get more spooky intros. For the next few episodes. So you'll have to wait and see. Maybe I'll spookify. Maybe that's what I'll do when I get done recording this episode. Maybe, possibly, I'll spookify this original intro. I'll add like a spooky undertone to the intro that you just heard a second ago. So if you didn't listen to it, if you skipped the intro, you might have to go back and listen to it because maybe I've spookified it. Maybe I tell you some amazing stuff during that intro that you guys are just skipping over. And I know a lot of people skip over this too, which case... You won't know. You won't hear it. You're missing out is what I'm saying. All righty, let's get to, uh, let's do a hand of fate update. It's still there. All righty, let's get to merch. Head over to tpublic.com slash stores slash paranormal dash almanac. The 200th, got 30 days left. And then all the 200th shirts, the limited edition shirts, those are going away. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Time is running out. Tick tock, tick tock. All righty, let's get on over to, ooh, before we actually get into paranormal news, I'll take that back. Before we get to paranormal news, I have a new segment called Crazy Conspiracy Time. That's when I find a weird, crazy conspiracy that I thought is kind of cool, but I don't want to do a whole other crazy conspiracy episode quite yet. So I'll just throw them in here at the beginning. So this one, I freaking love, man. And it makes total sense to me where I was like, Holy shit, this this is a conspiracy I can get behind. So, you know, if you Google Frozen Disney, you know what you get when you do Google Frozen Disney? Well, let's I'll do it for you right now. You will get Frozen, the official Disney store, everything about the 2013 movie Frozen, you know, with the uh what's her name? Elsa? I don't know. Um it's yeah, Queen Elsa, Snow Queen Elsa. I haven't seen it to be honest with you, but it's all about the movie Frozen with Olaf and Elsa and all that kind of fun stuff. And Anna, you want to know why they made this movie? Why Disney made the movie Frozen? Well, prior to 2013, if you were to type in Frozen Disney, all you would get were stories about the fact, quote unquote, fact. Big, big quote unquotes, because I don't think it's true. All you would get were these stories about the fact that Walt Disney's head is frozen somewhere. That when he died, they cut off his head, they froze it. So at some time later on, they can unfreeze it, cure him, and then attach it to another body. And he can live forever. So they created a movie called Frozen to mess with Google Analytics and bump that. I don't even know how many pages you'd have to go before you find anything about Walt Disney's frozen head. Let's see. It's not on the first page. Definitely not on the second page. 
Wow, this actually is impressive. It's not on the third page. Oh, no, it is on the third page. The, the end of the third page, there's an article from Biography. Is Walt Disney's body frozen? Legend was frozen after death so he can be reanimated in the future. Is it a myth? Read on for the truth about Disney's deep freeze. So you have to go three pages in, but only one story. The rest of this is all about the movie Frozen. Let's go to the fourth page. Fourth page has one story. Wow, even four pages in, there's, I'm still only two stories on the four pages of Google. Five, five is all about the movie Frozen. So a couple have snuck in, but not a lot. Same with page page six. I mean, we're deep, deep into Google to a point where it usually isn't anything about what you're actually Googling about anymore. Seven, same thing, same, same page. Eight, same page. Wow. All right, so it did work. Look, they got they went from having it being the first story and only thing that came up when you typed in the words Frozen Disney to being two stories in eight pages. But I thought that was a really cool conspiracy. And like I said, one that I can be like, yeah, I can totally see them doing that to mess with the Google Analytics and get that story out of there. It's brilliant. I freaking love it. All right, with that, let's get to paranormal news. I'm going to randomly pick one. So let's go this one. That's Paranormal News. Alrighty, the first story in Paranormal News. Grim Reaper spotted an operating theater just minutes after surgery. Now, this one is all over the internet right now, but I got this story off of Unilad. A doctor shared a spooky look at what appears to be the Grim Reaper in an operating theater just minutes after his colleague performed a surgery. Dr. Jorge Bermejo, Bermejo, Coache Ortega. Look, it's Dr. Ortega from Mexico shared the clip on his TikTok page where it's gone viral, amassing 1.6 million views and creeping a lot of people out in the process. A medical colleague had just finished performing a woman's hysterectomy when a photo was taken of them holding up a jar containing the patient's removed uterus. Oh, I didn't realize that's what I was looking at. That's gross. But in the background, that's the more important part. In the background of the operating theater at the Clinica del Noreste in Hermosillo, I don't know. There is an eerie black shadow which looks remarkably like the Grim Reaper. Dr. Quache said, whether or not you believe in the paranormal and the plane and that plane that surrounds us, I'll leave you with something to reflect on. All surgeons, when entering an operating theater, have a constant fight with death to restore people to health. Sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. No matter how good a surgeon you are, death is always part of our work and is always present. In an interview with Jam Press, he added, a friend of mine in Hermosillo Sonora State, Mexico, sent me a message saying, check out this picture real quick. When I opened it, the first thing I saw was the jar containing a uterus following an abdominal hysterectomy of a 50-year-old female patient. Obviously, it's a female patient. It's a uterus. But anyhow, the operation went very well without complications. The patient was discharged the next day. The doctor took the photo of the organ and the formal preservative to show the patient's family. And of course, the relatives saw the dark silhouette behind the jar and were like, oh my God, what the F is that? Well, yeah. Oh, sorry, it keeps going. When my friend sent me the picture, I just wanted to share it with my followers. Went viral very quickly, but I didn't expect that. However, the patient was discharged the very next day. He's fine, so I don't know. It's just an eerie image. 
But where's the image? Here it is. So there's an image. He's holding up a jar with apparently a uterus in it that looks remarkably like a ginormous bug or uh, uh, like water bear kind of a thing. But he's not wrong. In the background, through the jar itself, if you picture that, you know, Grim Reaper, everybody knows the Grim Reaper, big black cloaky kind of thingy and sickle, minus the sickle part. Um, yeah, it's a freaking Grim Reaper behind him in the photo, in the jar. If, again, if if, if this hasn't been messed with and this is legit, yeah, that, that, that's creepy. That's way creepy. And since people love the fact that I live posted it, I will do it again. Here's a piece from the new episodes, paranormal. I don't know why people liked it so much, but I'll do it again. Normal news. All right, if you want to see it, head on over to the uh, Facebook fan page. And you can see the photo and tell me what you think for yourselves. Up next in paranormal news, this one comes out of uh, Australia, actually. Sydney, Australia. UFO cited an erroneously posted logo for U.S. Intelligency, intelligence agency. Yeah, I saw this one and I was like, wait, what the crap is that? A U.S. intelligence agency said it made a mistake that a logo posted on their website included a UFO. Bullshit. The National Intelligence Manager for Aviation posted a message on their website featuring what appeared to be a new logo. The logo shows a series of planes flying over the United States, including... Not what appears to be a flying saucer, including a freaking flying saucer. The department serves the principal advisor on air domain issues to the director of national intelligence. The agency's new logo was first noticed by re by UFO researcher and filmmaker Jeremy Corbell, who posted about it on his Twitter. No, I noticed it immediately. Radical, I still can't believe they did this, he wrote. So, afterwards, a spokesperson said the logo was erroneously posted and was unofficial and incorrect. The logo also included what appeared to be the outline of a Russian Sukhoi Su-57 felon fighter. And, all right, I didn't know that part, so that would make it very unusual. But where did this photo come from, and why didn't they say, oh, it was just one of our team members messing around, and or, you know, someone hacked our Twitter account and posted this? It is really freaking weird, though. It's really freaking weird. Um. But yeah, apparently it's a mistake. Don't worry. They're not admitting they have UFOs yet. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, a UFO exhibit beaming down to Arizona boardwalk in Scottsdale in the fall. That's right. This comes out of KTAR News 92.3 FM. Get all your UFO news from KTAR News 92.3 FM in Phoenix. Space invaders have their sights set on, on Scottsdale this fall, but it's all perfectly safe. A family-friendly exhibit that delves into the history and allure of UFOs and other unearthly life will touch down at the Arizona Boardwalk in the fall. The attraction, UFO Experience, The Truth is Out There, will feature over 200, art 200 artifacts, film clips, and recordings that claim to show evidence of extraterrestrials dating back millennia spread over seven galleries. If you love science fiction, are someone who embraces the idea of life on other planets, or are even the biggest skeptic of otherworldly beings... This attraction is for you. According to Arizona Boardwalk Managing Partner, Ran, ooh, I'm going to get your last name wrong. Sorry, Ran. Ran, I'm going to say Kanish, Kanishinsky. Kanishinsky? Kanishinsky. Yep, I don't know. 
Sorry, Rand. Contact me and I'll I'll uh, I'll get it right. I swear. The galleries at the attraction near Loop 101 Pima Freeway and Via Di Ventura will showcase a simulation of an alien abduction. What role the military has played in modern sightings, pop culture exhibits, and props, and interactive elements, among many other things. The exhibit is scheduled to open October on a date that is yet to be determined. That hasn't yet been determined. Okay. The eighth attraction at the boardwalk takes over the spot previously occupied by the science of Ripley's Believe It or Not. Sounds cool. Sounds like something I want to see. And hopefully I will get a chance to see it. It's not that far. I could probably drive there and back in a day. I would like to do that. I would like to check it out. All righty. Up next in paranormal news, Congress implies UFOs have non-human origins. I'm going to repeat that real quick. Congress implies UFOs have non-human origins. We're getting closer, people. I'm telling you, we're getting closer. In Congress, um, that's blah, blah, blah. You already know about the UFOs. You already know the reports. You already know about the draft. Here we go. The revised definition of UFO also includes transmedium objects, which according to lawmakers, transition between space and atmosphere or between the atmosphere and bodies of water. They also talk about remarkably advanced technology that seemingly move between space, air, and water, and that the transmedian threats to United States national security are expanding exponentially. It strains strains credulity? Ooh, yeah. It, It strains credulity. They spelled that wrong. I'm sorry. It's not me, I swear. To believe that lawmakers would include such extraordinary language in public legislation without compelling evidence. So here we have it. They're getting closer to saying, yeah, they're not from us. All right, Russ is actually... <laughs> Russ has actually commented on there. So here you get here's your special shout out, Russ. Russ has actually commented on the photo of the uh, the Grim Reaper, um, saying F and HMOs. Yep, I love it. Thank you, Russ. I like it. I like it a lot. There's your special shout out. If I didn't give you one prior to that, I think I did. I don't know. I uh, it's all it's all a blur. The shout out today was all a blur. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, one that I love. This story I absolutely love. Queen Elizabeth was, quote, fascinated by the Bigfoot legend. That's right. Look, had the Queen come out and the Prince Andrew or whatever is Prince Philip, sorry, not Andrew, fuck that guy. Prince Philip and the Queen, if they would have came out with, like, hey, Prince Philip, he loves UFOs, and the Queen, she loves the Bigfoot legend. She's fascinated by it. I would have been sadder than I was when she died. I would have been like, oh, or when they died, I should say. Oh, what a bummer. It's still a bummer, but what I'm saying is, you know, Queen, step up next time and tell the world, you know what I like? All right, here's my bad Queen impression. You know what I like? I'm fascinated by the Bigfoot legend. That's that's a spot-on Queen impression. So Queen Elizabeth and her husband, Prince Philip, were reportedly fascinated by the legend of Bigfoot. The late monarch and her husband are said to have become intrigued by the stories of the beast known as Sasquatch, said to be a species of mythical ape men running wild across America. Look, as you all know, I have a degree in cryptozoology. Not mythical. Uh, They even met a man who claimed to have been kidnapped by four of the beasts. Actor Brian Blessed made the revelation about the royal Bigfoot obsession, claiming the couple met trapper Albert Ostman on a trip to Vancouver, Canada, and he told them all about his experience. He said, It's the most brilliant account of Sasquatch I've ever heard. 
Just outside Venezuela, he wanted to go on a holiday and go fishing. He was an experienced traveler, an explorer in his tent, had a rifle. He wasn't looking for any Bigfoots. He was fishing. He describes being kidnapped. He describes four of them being taken away. It's so real. Hey, you know what? You want to hear more about this story? Listen to the episode where I talk all about it. It might be a patron-exclusive episode, but it's a damn good story. So um, he said it's true. It does exist. I told him they're everywhere. That's incredible to me. I can't imagine the queen and and her husband being like just sitting down and just chatting about Bigfoot. That's freaking amazing. All righty. Uh, a couple more stories. Let's get to the next one. Up next in paranormal news, Thai lotto winners reward ghosts with pricey Japanese feast. That's right. The 10 million bot lottery winners spent 300,000 bot of their fortune turning a graveyard in... Hi, <laughs> Rum. How's my girl? Mwah. I love you, sweetheart. Uh, turning a graveyard in Chonburi into a Japanese restaurant to reward ghosts for giving them the lucky numbers. The couple yesterday evening transformed the Tree Kunatham Foundation Graveyard in the Nangri sub-district of Chonburi province into a pop-up sushi bar and served Japanese foods to 5,000 souls in the area. The lottery winners promoting their feast, 28-year-old and 30-year-old people, uh, revealed that they won lottery prizes in July after visiting the graveyard. They believed that the ghost somehow provided them with the winning lotto numbers. All right, time out. Kurt here. Uh, Hey, ghost. I'm pretty cool, right? I, I don't ever, like, stop you or sage you or kick you out of the house. I don't mind when you make noises when, when I'm trying to record or do stuff or or be all pervy in the shower when girls were in there. I never said a word. But I didn't know that this was a possibility that you could give me the lotto numbers. How about that? How about you step up now? And get me the winning lotto numbers or Mega Millions or Powerball. I'm not picky. How about we do that? Okay. Freaking freeloading ghosts. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news. Nessie purists petition for webcam reports to be stricken from the official record. This one, this one makes me mad. This one makes me mad. That's right. A row ignites over Loch Ness cams as petition is launched to remove webcam sightings from the official register. I say nay. Again, degree in cryptozoology right behind me. I am a known Nessie expert. I talk about Nessie more than any other podcast, I'm guessing. How dare these people try to strike from the record webcam sightings of Nessie? Why would they take away the pleasure of people that are spending their days? Why that guy Ian, but it's like that seems like all he does. And and the other one, uh Kaylin, it seems like that's all they do is watch these things to find Nessie and they found Nessie. Now they want to take it away. They want to strike it from the official record. Oh, I say no. I say no, and I say I really hope that the the record tells them, you know what? Kurt says no. That's it. Just Kurt says no, and then just leave it at that, and then never respond to them again, because F that noise. All right, and last but not least in paranormal news, I want to get a little bit of something spooky in here. I wanted to talk about a haunted house of some kind, because we're in Halloween season. So, here's how likely it is you'll buy a haunted house in Arizona. 
Moving into a new home can be an exciting new journey, but not when there's an unwanted roommate already living there. Things that go bump in the night just took a whole lot, took on a whole new meaning when you buy a haunted house. The team at Home Advisor wants to know the probability of buying a haunted house across the country. They looked at the number of homes for sale in each state and compare, compared them to the number of haunted homes where homes have been reported of death, homicide, and paranormal activity. And they came up with the U.S. states most likely to sell haunted homes based on the number of homes for sale and the number of, quote, haunted homes. The national average, 13%. All righty. From least likely to most likely. Ooh, they're going to make me work for this. It's, they show all 50 states. Now i got to find the one with the most likely. Um, that's Ohio. Ohio's got 29.9. You have a 29.9% chance of buying a haunted house. New Hampshire, 26.9%. New York, 27.4% chance of buying a haunted house. Michigan, only 8.5% chance. California, 17.9% chance. Texas, 19.2% chance. Same with West Virginia. Uh, let's see. Where are the other big bright ones there? Looks like the Dakotas, North and South Dakota, 18.3% for South Dakota. North Dakota, 15.9%. New Jersey, 30% chance, 30.2% chance of buying a haunted house. I'm going to post this up on the Facebook fan page as well. So you can find out in your state, you know, what are the chances? Illinois, 16.2%. Indiana, 17.2%. Uh, Arizona, the one that brought this up, only 8.2% chance. So that's kind of cool. I, I really like the haunted house market uh, thing that they did. So I'm going to post that up on the Facebook fan page while I'm doing this show live as well. So you can go there and be like, hey, uh, what's my percentage chance of buying a haunted house in such and such state? And that about does it for uh, Paranormal News. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Paranormal Almanac. We are back. Okay. It's probably October 1st when this drops. Maybe it's September 30th. Maybe I'll be generous and I'll put it out on September 30th. But just know I planned for this to drop on October 1st because I wanted to get... The first of October, the first of the Halloween season, story up and ready to go, episode up and ready to go, I should say, which means it's time to talk about all things mysterious and spooky, creepy and ooky, and not that horrific Munsters reboot that Rob Zombie did that I watched on Netflix the other night and, you know, lost that time and I'll never get back again. Um, but I thought... Even though I talked about the Bennington Triangle before, I didn't tell you everything about it. There is so much to talk about in the Bennington Triangle, I figured, why not do it now? Now, you might be going, Kurt, I don't remember the Bennington Triangle. I'm not caught up, or I, I forgot that episode, or what episode was that? I have no idea what episode. It was an episode about other triangles, so it shouldn't be hard to find, but it's okay. It's all right. I'm going to give you a very brief, quick catch-up. The Bennington Triangle is located in the southwestern Vermont and home to a lot of ghost towns. Now, this triangle was coined by New England author 
Joseph A. Citro during a public radio broadcast in 1992. It's relatively new to the triangle side of things, but this triangle goes back a ways with a little bit of everything. So first, let's go back as far as we can, because, you know, why not start at the beginning? To Native American stories about the area that became the Bennington Triangle. The Abenaki tribe believed that their god, Tapaldak, also dwelled at the summit of Glastonbury Mountain. Now, they believed the mountain was cursed, and it contained all sorts of paranormal creatures. They actually reported lights in the sky they couldn't explain, large, hairy creatures that, tried, that they tried to avoid, and they also said that they lost many of their tribes to the mountain before they were like, yeah, this land is cursed. They said it's cursed because all four winds met in that spot, which I got to say, people nowadays say the winds are insanely unpredictable and it's a very dangerous and treacherous mountain area to be in. They said it can disorient people very quickly. In fact, they said the mountain pass is so treacherous that even avid hunters to this day have disappeared there, have been disoriented there, have gotten lost when they know the land, you know, like the back of their hand. Now, there is also Native American folklore of an enchanted stone, which is said to swallow anything that steps on it. So, you know, that seems bad. Now, it doesn't really say, is it like a wormhole? Some people think it's definitely a wormhole. And that would make sense because you know, the whole triangle part of things that, you know, they think that the Bermuda Triangle, for example, probably has some form of wormhole or time, you know, something that messes with time, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I could see why they would say, oh, there's an enchanted stone there and it swallows everything. That's a wormhole. But it doesn't ever say, yep, it opens up and there's a big void and it looks like Stargate and you walk through it and you get sucked through the water and the next thing you know, Kurt Russell has to save you. No, nothing like that. But there is a lot of American, Native American folklore about an enchanted stone somewhere up in the Glastonbury Mountains that swallows anything that steps on it. Now, the Abenaki actually tried to avoid the mountain altogether, and it seems the closest they ever got to it was a burial ground at its base. So, for those keeping score at home, Native American burial ground. I'm talking poltergeist rules here, people. Native American burial grounds are bad. Not not bad, but you don't mess with Native American burial grounds. You, you, you respect them. You don't build a house on top of it. And you don't mess with them is what I'm saying. That's the, that's the poltergeist rules for it. But still, I'm not messing with an American, Native American burial ground. No way, no how. Okay. So we got lights up in the sky. So we got UFOs. We got Bigfoot, big, large, hairy men. Don't worry. We'll get to all of these a little bit more. And we have that Native American burial ground. And I'm just getting started. Oh, yeah. And that um, stone that swallows you, too. All righty. So from there, let's get to the actual town of Glastonbury. Or should I say the ghost town of Glastonbury? Because the town of Glastonbury, during the 19th century, it had 241 people living there at its peak. But in case you couldn't guess by me calling it a ghost town, it didn't last. So many people died or were killed there. In fact, they said that crime was pretty much rampant. Then... There was a flood that took out the whole town until only three people of the same family lived in that town 
and the town of Glastonbury was dissolved. Now, the town often had rumors of weird sounds and smells coming from the mountain. And a bunch of sites say strange lights, but I got to say, I can't verify that. But it does seem like in the 19th century, when they're all up there logging and mining and doing everything where they had to go up in the mountains, the town often spoke of weird sounds, weird smells, and strange lights coming from the mountains. All righty. So I guess... The next logical spot for this story is to kind of just go down the list of some weird stuff that happened. So let's go to this guy in 1867. So 1867, there was an alleged wild man sighting. And I don't mean just one. I mean dozens and dozens of wild man sightings in the area. They said a mysterious specter would venture down from the woods... Now, some say that he lived in a cave uh, in Somerset up in the, the, the Glastonbury Mountains, but he would come down from the mountains, all wild and hairy and smelly and all that fun stuff. He would pull back his coat and expose himself to unsuspecting women in Glastonbury. That is not funny. I apologize that I'm laughing at that. It's just such a bizarre story. So he would come down, come down from the mountains, expose himself to unsuspecting women, not only in Glastonbury, but also in nearby Bennington, but he was also said to be brandishing a revolver for intimidation. Okay, so add weird, dick-waving, gun-toting, hairy man to the list. Let's go to April 4th, 1892, when Fayville mill worker, mill worker Henry McDowell just up and murdered his friend, John Crowley, his co-worker and friend at the mill, John Crowley. He did it by bashing him in the head with either a rock or piece of wood, but it seems like rock, depending on the story. But, all right, so he smashes up old uh, John Skull there, flees town, but he was later apprehended in South Norwalk, Norwalk, Connecticut, and he made a full confession, but he said he didn't know why he did it. He said that a voice in his head wouldn't leave him alone and kept telling him, you got to kill John. You just got to kill him. You got to kill John. Just go kill John. You got to kill John. Why don't you kill John? Hey, Henry, Henry, what are you doing? Hey, Henry, hey, psst, Henry, what are you doing? Go kill John. Hey, Henry, you know your buddy John? You should go kill him. Hey, psst, go kill John. Like that. So he was sentenced to the Vermont State Asylum. Basically, they were like, oh, this dude's crazy. And they sentenced him to the Vermont State Asylum in Waterbury. But... He escaped by hiding in a railroad car carrying a load of coal and was never seen again. There are a lot of rumors or theories about what happened to him back in that time. Some say he returned to Glastonbury and just led his life as another man. That seems kind of weird because, again, there's only 241 people in there. You'd think someone would go, Henry? No, I'm, 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 I'm Steve. No, you're obviously Henry. There's only 241 people here. We all know you killed John. So I doubt that he returned to Glastonbury. Others claim that he still remains hiding on the slopes of the mountain to this very day. I'm going to say probably not because that was 1892. I'm going to say mm, not likely. All righty. Then we get another name for Bigfoot on this episode because a stagecoach full of passengers were making their way over the mountains near Glastonbury it's near present-day Route 9 and Woodford, in case you want to recreate this journey for some reason. 
So it was written that it was dark and stormy. The road was washed out from the storm. The rain was coming down so hard that the driver actually came to a complete stop in the stagecoach to wait out the storm. So he hops down from his, I don't know what you call it, his perch, his driver's seat thingy. You know, the front of the stagecoach part where the drivers sit out in the cold in what was the worst design ever? How any person wanted to be a stagecoach driver is beyond me because everybody else is all comfortable inside and you're outside in the rain and the snow and everything. That spot. So he hops down from there and he says he saw large humanoid fresh tracks and deep from something big and heavy. He said they were widely spaced, suggesting that whatever had made them was tremendous in size. He said right then something spooked the horses. So the passengers got out fearing that the horses would run them down or off the road, like down the side of the mountain or off the road, basically. But, as the passenger started getting out, something big and hairy hit the side of the carriage over, not the horses, something else big and hairy, hit the side of the carriage over and over until the carriage was knocked onto its side. They said it was roughly eight feet tall and hairy, staring at them before running back into the woods. So they called it the Bennington Monster. I want it noted that it never says that it whipped his dick out and he was brandishing a revolver for intimidation. Nope, it was a Bigfoot. Eight foot tall, hairy, staring at them, ran back in the woods. Bennington Monster. So you got an, yet another name to call a Bigfoot. All right. Even more weirdness. But, uh, Kurt, didn't you talk about disappearances at the beginning? Mysterious, if you will? Well, yes. First, there was this one. For this one, we go back to 1897. It was opening day of hunting season when John Harbor went hunting in Bickford Hollow. Now, he went there with his brother and a family friend. They said, the family friend and his brother said they heard a blast of a rifle followed by what they thought, and, you know, they should know, was John screaming, I've been shot. So they figured he was shot, which I got to say is what I would have thought too. And they searched for him, but they couldn't find him until the next day. They said his legs were protruding out from underneath a cedar tree and his loaded gun was found beside him. But here's the weird part. He was actually dragged and moved about 70 feet, they figure, from where he was killed to where he was positioned underneath that cedar tree. So whatever or whoever moved him into this position and positioned him like that, put his loaded gun next to him. Those that investigated his death, they said, were left wondering why he was so easily shot with a fully loaded gun and why his assailant would bother to put the gun next to him after dragging him that distance. That murder has gone unsolved. All right, then between 1945 and 1950, at least six people disappeared, starting with... We got to go back to November 11th, 1943, when 37-year-old Carl Herrick went hunting in the woods about 10 miles northeast of Glastonbury Mountain. Now, at some point during the hunt, Carl and his cousin Henry, they get separated. So Henry makes it back to the camp, but Carl isn't there when dusk hits. And so Henry starts to get a little bit worried, goes out looking for Carl, or goes out looking, yeah, goes out looking for Carl, and Henry's like, nah, I can't find him, and goes and contacts the local law enforcement. So they all search for three days, 
without finding a trace of Carl. Then, at dusk on the third day, Henry stumbles upon Carl's body laying on the ground in the woods, again, his loaded rifle found leaning against a tree just away from him. Henry reported finding huge bear tracks around Carl's body, but he wasn't mauled or eaten by the bears. Officially, Carl was reported squeezed to death. His lungs were found to be punctured by his own ribs. Aw, bear hugs. Now, they said whatever the creature was that hugged Carl to death had to be bigger and stronger than a bear, so I guess let's add this to the list. Don't hug Bigfoot? Now, I checked because I wanted to know if a bear hug was a real thing, and it is, but it's followed by the bear eating the prey. So, yeah, they do, like, hug you, bear hug you, until you, your ribs break and kill you, but then they eat you. So... I have no idea why Carl wasn't eaten. That's weird, right? Then, November 12, 1945. 74-year-old Mitty Rivers disappeared while out hunting. Now, this was in the vicinity of the Long Trail Road in Vermont Route 9. Now, he was on a weekend hunting trip with four other hunters up in the mountains. They said he was experienced. He knew not only how to hunt, but he knew the land. So Mitty and his son-in-law, Joe, were walking together before reaching a fork. Mitty went left, Joe went right, and they said, hey, I'm only going to be going a short distance. Then he would join them at the camp for lunch. Everyone but Mitty returned back to the camp, ate lunch, and they they're like, uh-oh. They started to worry about Mitty. Where'd Mitty go? They went searching for him. Couldn't find them. They contact the authorities. An extensive search was conducted, but the only evidence ever discovered was a single rifle cartridge that was found in a stream. Now, the search attempts continued for over a month for Mitty, but no trace of Mitty was ever found. Now, some sites say that Mitty actually disappeared near Bickford Hollow, which is the same place that that first guy, John Harbor, was murdered. But I can't verify it, so take that with a grain of salt. But it's still the same mountains, still the same kind of setup. This guy was an avid hunter and knew the area and knew the land. Disappeared without a trace. Then, we go to December 1st. December 1st, 1946. That's when Paula Jean Weldon, age 18, disappeared. Now, Paula, not a hunter, she was a sophomore at Bennington College. She went out for a hike on the Long Trail. Same trail, remember Long Trail? Now, many saw her depart, including a guy named Ernest Whitman, who was a Bennington Banner employee who said he, she asked for directions. He gave her directions. He said she wasn't wearing a jacket. Other sites say she was wearing a red jacket. Don't worry. That'll be important later, maybe. They said it was 50 degrees outside, later dropping to 9 degrees. She said she was um, seen on the trail by an elderly couple who were about 100 yards behind her. According to them, she turned a corner in the trail, and when they reached the same corner, poof, she was gone. Again, extensive, research, uh, extensive search. 400 students and faculty members assembled to help look for, you know, her, for Paula, a massive search party of a thousand people, bloodhounds, helicopters, a clairvoyant, 
They combed the area for weeks. In fact, a $5,000 reward was even offered and the FBI got involved because there's so many people, you know, coming up missing and the authorities are like, oh God, not again. So ultimately her case goes cold. She was declared dead. No sign of her or her belongings were ever found, but interestingly enough, this is almost a footnote on only a few pages and most pages don't even bring this up. A man named Fred Gadet, who worked as a lumberjack and lived near the trail where she vanished, well, in 1955, he went to the authorities and confessed to having information about her disappearance and knowing where her, where her remains were buried. However, he later recanted the confession and claimed he was just seeking attention. I call bullshit on that. He also bragged, supposedly, bragged to others about attacking and killing Paula in the woods. So there's your guy, people. Why isn't that on every news story about this or every story about this? There's a guy who came out and said, yeah, I killed her, and then would brag to people about it. So I'm going to call that one not-so-mysterious disappearance. Just a sad asshole of a guy. All righty, up next is James E. Tedford. Every site says, a veteran. I think they mean to say that because they want to show like he knew his way around and he was experienced as well. Well, he went missing on December 1st, 1949, three years to the day after Paula Jean Weldon vanished. Um, he was, uh, he had been in St. Albans visiting relatives was accompanied to a local bus station, which was the last location he was seen. Now, according to the witnesses, he got on the bus and was still aboard at the last stop before arriving in Bennington. But somewhere between the last stop and Bennington, everybody on the bus said he vanished. His belongings were still in the luggage rack and an open bus timetable was on his vacant seat. I don't get that. I don't get that at all. They said that he, the witnesses on the bus said they were all interviewed by the authorities. They said that he never exited the bus. I don't, I don't know what to make of that. Like that one's freaking weird. And then we go to Paul Jepson, October 12th, 1950. This one's really sad. Paul was only aged eight. He accompanied his mother in a truck. Now she left her son unattended for about an hour while she fed some pigs. Seems like weird priorities, but okay. When she returned, Paul was gone. Search parties formed to look for the kid. Nothing was ever found. They said that Paul was wearing a bright red jacket that should have made him more visible. That's two, if you're keeping score on the bright red jacket chart. Now, one story says, and I can't verify it, that bloodhounds tracked the boy to a local highway where... Paula Jean had disappeared four years earlier, but I think that's more like spooky Halloween urban legend time. They, uh, they said that uh, hundreds of town folks joined the search, scanned the dump, the surrounding roads, even the mountains. They did a double check system where as soon as one group finished searching an area, the next group would search the same area. They even had Coast Guard planes brought in. Nothing. Uh, let's see, after the search had been called off, this is another weird thing, Paul's dad said that Paul had mentioned he had an inexplicable yen to go into those mountains. 
Okay. Yeah, that's weird. That's weird. Uh, I don't I don't know what think of that. Alrighty, then October twenty eighth, nineteen fifty. Frida Langer, age 53, her cousin uh, Herbert Elsner left their family campsite near the Somerset Reservoir to go on a hike. During the journey, she falls into a stream. So they go, well, yep, they saw that. They saw Frida fall into a stream, and she was like, ah, crap, I fell into a stream. Hey, I'm going to go back to the campsite and change clothes, and then I'll catch up to you. That was the last time they ever saw her. Over two weeks, five searches, Aircraft, helicopters, 300 searchers, nothing. He said that he was startled to learn that not only had she never came back, but never came out of the woods. Then, get this. They did that same double search method that I mentioned a minute ago, but then get this. Her body turned up in some tall grass in an area that had been searched extensively a number of times in the seven months between her disappearance and when they found her body, they said it was insanely unlikely that the search teams, the multiple search teams, had simply missed her. They said that is impossible. Yeah, I don't know. That's weird, too. That's really weird. Um, so as I said, in case you didn't notice, there's one common thread that they said a lot of these disappearances had, but I only noted two, and one might not even be true. And they said that's the color red. They said it's become somewhat of a legend in that area that those heading up into the woods or up into the mountains should avoid wearing red. Additionally, someone who actually looked into this and did a lot of research into it said the weird, the really weird thing is not so much the color red, but that all of these disappearances take place in the late afternoon between 3 and 4 p.m. in temperate weather. Yeah, all right, I'll give them that. That is weird. It's not late at night. It's easy to get It's easy to get lost in the woods anyway, but especially at nighttime, 3 and 4 p.m., seems like it wouldn't be quite as bad. All right, then let's go to Patch Hollow. Um, if you go from that long trail that people were talking about, over the peaks of southern Vermont's Green Mountains, you will get into a small patch called Patch Hollow. It's a deep trench of land in the Green Mountains formed by the steep slope. It doesn't matter why it's formed. Why am I telling you that? Who, who cares? It's a deep slope. All right. For this one, we go back to May 11th, 1831. One of the settlements in the hollow was owned by Roland Wheeler, a man of violent passions and jealous dispositions. Oh, he sounds like a good guy. And that was an actual recorded account written about him in 1911. They say he was reportedly guilty of sexual acts with his wife's sister, now, that word got out, and a lot of the community were like, F that guy, let's go get him. So, community members from Wallingford and nearby Shrewsbury hated him so much for banging his wife's sister that they decided to form a mob and tar and feather him. They didn't just, like, decide that and keep it quiet. No, no. They were very vocal about it, and they said publicly, here's the plan. Everybody wants to meet up. Here we go. And he finds out about it because, of course, they weren't being quiet. So they said he was forewarned and took measures to defend himself. He fashioned a knife from a large file and barred his doors waiting for the mob. On the night of May 11th, two parties from Shrewsbury and Wallingford set out for Patch Hollow to do some old-fashioned whoop-ass. 
They said they they were equipped with jugs of rum, which that sounds like a party. Hi, rum. I Not jugs of you. No, God, no. I love you too. You're a very good girl. A bucket of tar and a sack of feathers. So not so much of a party. Thank you, rum. I'm, I'm trying to do a story. I love you so much. Thank you. Um, a bucket of tar and a sack of feathers. They made their way into the mountains, but the party from Shrewsbury got lost in the woods and returned home. But you still got the Wallingford mob. They arrive at Wheeler's house. They force their way in by prying a hole into the edge of the roof. They go in through the roof, like mob style, like zombie mob style. And after a few minutes of trying to, like, figure out what the heck is going on, they just start beating anybody that's in that room. And they're like, he's got to be one of these people. Even though there's, like, a whole lot of people, they just start punching and fighting and beating and someone was killed. So they're like, yay, we got him. It's bizarre. They were like, we definitely got him. Nope. It was one of the first three men that actually made it into the house and struggled with Wheeler. He was in there and he stabbed one of the guys in the side and then slashed another one 14 times. They said the entire cabin was covered in blood, but he wasn't in there. The mob saw someone covered in blood and just started beating him to death. And it turned out to be one of the mob members, Isaac, uh, Isaac Osborne. And they were like, well, where the hell's Wheeler? Turns out they found his clothes, but he escaped by wrestling out of his clothes, crawling under his bed, prying up some floorboards and running away. So the mob's like, ah, shit, we killed somebody and it wasn't him. They said, uh, oh, later, sorry, before I finish that thought, later, Dr. John Fox of Wallingford would visit the scene, which he recounted as the most terrible sight he, re he could recall. He said the livid body of Osborne on the bed and the cabin literally soaked in blood. So Wheeler takes off, spends the night naked in the woods, gets back into town, steals a shirt from a clothesline, and goes like, hey, sorry, guys, we're all good here, right? They arrest him. They put him on trial in a makeshift, makeshift court in Wallingford. And he's found innocent because it was self-defense because a mob of people just broke into his house through his roof and tried to stab him. Uh, the mob, well, two of the attackers of the mob were fined $60 each, while three others were fined $40. That was with the ending with the Patch Hollow mob. Oh, Right after that, right after the court hearing, and I mean like almost right after the court hearing, Patch Hollow became abandoned and to this day is just a ghost town. Alrighty, I, I can't, there's some other random things about that whole like Bennington Triangle. I want to throw them all in about here. First of all, UFOs. There's a tale with some names. So I was like, oh good, it's actual facts, not just, and then some person saw a UFO. No. A flying silo-shaped UFO was seen over the skies of Bennington by Don Pratt, not in like the 1800s or the early 1900s, no, in 1984. Crazy cool. Then, I love you, but stop it. Then, here's a couple of online stories, so big time grain of salt time. Columbus Day in 2008. Two long trail hikers, again the long trail, were making their way through the Glastonbury Wilderness. While hiking, they ran into a young man named Dave who helped rebuild fire towers along the trail. They started talking about the, the mountain's reputation 
And they said uh, they heard about the disappearances and shrugged it off as out-of-control tall tales. But Dave said he had spent some time on the Glastonbury Mountains restoring the fire tower on the summit and would work up there for like all hours of the day. And he said that while camping in Goddard Shelter, his friends reported that there were nights that he would sit up in his sleep and laugh uncontrollably. uncontrollably. Other nights, he would wake up screaming. Now, Dave was considered a down-to-earth, smart guy, and they said, like, he's never acted that way before, never since. They are up there with him restoring fire towers all the time. It's the only place that he ever does it. All right, that's creepy. If it's true, that's creepy. Now, another one I was able to dig up. Uh, let's see. It's uh, the oldest member of the Mattinson family, Arlie Green. Now, Arlie Green recalled the good old days, quote-unquote, of Glastonbury, said that two local men went fishing on the Peters branch. One went upstream and the other went downstream. One of them was never seen again. Now, a short time after this, someone found a human skull sitting on a tree stump near the brook. Some people think, oh, like, panthers got him or he was killed by bears and then, like, wildlife took the skull. But still, really weird. And then last but not least, I want to leave you with this little bit. I had to look it up. There was um, talk of stone cairns, C-A-I-R-N-S. And you might be thinking, well, Kurt, I don't know what a cairn is. I didn't know what a cairn was either. So a cairn is, hold on, I want to read it to you from it. Rock cairns are human-made stacks, mounds, or piles of rocks. They take different forms and have been built by cultures around the world for many different purposes. Cairns may serve as monuments, burial sites, navigational aids by land or sea, or ceremonial grounds. So, up there in the mountains, in the Bennington Triangle, are a series of cairns. They say they're scattered around the mountain, and no one is sure... Who made them, when, or why? Some of the theories are that farmers built them a long time ago while clearing out their pastures, but the cairns are built in high elevations where farming never took place, so nope. Others say that passing hikers on the long trail built them to act as beacons in bad weathers, but the cairns are located miles away from the long trail in heavily forested areas. So no to that one too. Now I'm really mad I can't find how many cairns people have come across up in these mountains, but I have a theory. It's just a theory, but I need your help. I need a paramaniac to put on a red jacket, go up there exploring these old ass stone cairns and see if the missing people's bodies are inside the cairns. Look, think how famous we'll be. Mostly me, because it was my idea, but I guess you too. But think about how crazy cool it would be is if they open up a cairn or however you take apart a cairn, and sure enough, there's a dead body of one of these people that I just talked about on this episode. I'm talking some seriously bizarre grave sites. And also think about like the good you will find. Look, you would have found so many missing people that all these other people went looking for and couldn't find. You could be like, hey, you know what? I'm wearing a paranormal almanac shirt. I found a cairn. It's cool, right? And people would be like, whoa, paranormal almanac found a bunch of missing people that have been missing for hundreds of years, or at least 100 years. 
Oh, that's a good story. And that five thousand who knows? Maybe that five thousand dollar reward is still good. In which case, 70, 30. You get 70, I'll take 30. Enjoy the money. And if you disappear, I promise, if you disappear, I will talk about you on a future Halloween episode or a future episode, not even Halloween time, a future episode. I will talk to you about like, hey, you know, Paramaniac Russ put on a red jacket, went up into the mountains and was never seen again. So, you know, there you go. And apparently you don't have to worry about like, well, I don't have a gun. It doesn't do anybody any good anyway. There's like two guys that were experienced with guns. They were killed holding the loaded guns. So that, that don't matter. Seems like you don't even have to do much other than get lost up in these woods and you might have a cool paranormal story. Or, even better, we can have you do live reports from up in the Bennington Triangle. Like you can like call in. I'll give you a number. You'll call in and I'll be like, hey, uh, how's it going up in the Bennington Triangle? And you can tell me all the spooky shit that you've seen. Sounds cool, right? All right, Paramaniacs, I need, a, I need a volunteer to help find a Karen. Not a Karen, but a Cairn. Avoid the Karens. Find the Cairns. All righty, that about does it for this week's episode. But uh, what do you guys think? You, you got, Oh, wait, hold on. Let's go back and see what everybody's saying over in the uh, fan page here. All righty, there's a couple people. Jamie says, very interesting to the... U.S. states most likely to sell haunted homes. Alora says, so I live in Massachusetts on the New Hampshire border, and my mom is a real estate agent in both states. In New Hampshire, you're required to say if you think the house is haunted or if there's been any deaths on the property. While Massachusetts, this is not a requirement. I don't know about other states, just a fun fact and a reminder that those numbers may not be accurate. You only have to disclose if asked. But I remember looking at a property years and years ago in New Hampshire, and the real estate agent out of nowhere was like, now, I do have to tell you, someone hung themselves on this property. I'm, you know what? I'm fine with that. I mean, maybe it's because I've already got a haunted house, but like, I would like them to say, hey, you know that movie Poltergeist? And I'd be like, yes, I don't like that movie Poltergeist. And then they'd be like, well, you, you don't want to move in here because this is a Poltergeist house. Because I don't want that. But if they said like, hey, man, you know, if you, have, if you have a problem with, like, a ghost that really doesn't do much, you just knock some stuff over and knock some stuff, bangs and stuff, and I'll be like, yeah, I got one of those. And they'd be like, well, there's one here, too. Yeah, I'm fine with that. All right, that about does it for this week's episode. There is plenty, and I mean plenty, coming up for the Halloween season. I can't wait to get to some of these. Other ones I can wait to get to, but I can't because I got to get to them. But... Hope you guys enjoyed this one. I really liked this episode. Sometimes I don't say like I really like the episodes, and sometimes I say it when I don't quite mean it. No, that's not true. I never really say that unless I mean it. But this one, I really like this episode. It's not a huge area by any stretch of imagination. You know, it's not like Bermuda Triangle where it's huge. This is a small area where a lot of weird shit seems to keep happening decade after decade, 100 year after 100 year. You name it, it's got something paranormal up in there. And I thought it was kind of cool. So I hope you guys liked that episode too. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Savvy, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac.